text for tonight's sermon is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we want to serve notice now uh, to the powers of darkness that they are defeated by the blood of Christ and by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that in this room their power is broken and that those whom they have held captive for a long time may be set free if you would be pleased to come in resurrection power. And I ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a message for those of you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, treasure, supreme treasure of your life, and it is a message that I hope um, unbelievers, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jewish people, agnostics, atheists, skeptic seekers, whatever class of unbeliever you're in will listen in so that by God's grace, by His power, by His Word, you might be granted to see the truth of Christ and to have your hearts opened to the immeasurable value of what you are missing and will miss for eternity if lights don't go on in your heart concerning the truth of Christ. So it's a message for believers, to believers, that I hope unbelievers will listen to, to see what it is that God has to say to people who believe, so that they might detect what they are missing and be drawn in. I'll sum it up in a sentence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and what became of him after the resurrection shows the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward those who believe. That's the sermon. Or you put it in three words, resurrection power now to live and die for the glory of Christ. I'm taking it from verse 19. 
what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. It's all there. What is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward believers in Christ? Now, I know that the vast majority of believers do not feel this immeasurable great power at work in your life. And therefore, this sermon sounds at the outset idealistic, religious hype perhaps, or vague and theoretical. It is not connecting with my experience that I am a believer. I do not feel immeasurable great power at work in my life. So if you're going to talk about that, you're going to miss me. I assume that's where most of you are because that's where I am often. But by God's grace... The Word of God can change us, change our minds and change our hearts. I can't. God can and God may. There are reasons why Christians don't feel the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward them. There's one big reason mentioned in this text and then there's three little reasons, huge little reasons underneath the big one. The big one is in verse 18. Paul mentions the eyes of our hearts need to be enlightened to know something. You see that? Which means that he's praying for believers whose eyes of the heart are dull. Otherwise, he wouldn't pray that they would be lightened. So our eyes as believers, the eyes of our hearts, which sees these things, are often dull. They are in the Ephesians, evidently. They probably are for most of you now, coming off of a kind of, of Saturday that wasn't all designed to get you ready to meet God. And so there's a kind of a pall and a, a feeling of dullness and no great sense of divine, immeasurable power is at work toward me. I know it is. I feel it is. And you're not there. So this, this is for you. That's the way Paul is talking. He's talking to you. That eyes of hearts would be opened to know this power. Now, underneath that big problem of dull eyes are three other problems flowing from it. Number one, because of this spiritual dullness in our hearts, we are not fully aware of the blinding, deadening, awesome power of sin, which is now being conquered in our lives. If you are feeling healthy tonight, you will be thrilled with the power of your medicine that you're taking only if you know how deadly the disease is that's attacking you and which you're being saved from. 
If you don't think you have a disease, the pills you're popping will not impress you. But if you think you're dying and your life is depending on these pills, you're going to love these powerful pills, right? So there's one of our problems. We don't know or feel the magnitude, depth, and power and pervasive might of indwelling sin. We don't. And therefore, if we, if you are being given any measure of victory, any measure of victory over sin in your life, you would stand in awe of the mighty power of God toward you if you knew the depths of sin from which you were being delivered. That's number one. Number two, flowing from this dullness of our own hearts is that we don't know or feel the magnitude of demonic power that is coming against us every day of our lives. Yes, even in this modern technological scientific Western world where nobody believes in it. Anyway, if you only knew, if you only knew what was coming against you spiritually from the devil, from the pit of hell and the hordes of demons that are in this world, if, if any of you were feeling safe tonight. You would be amazed at your protector only if you knew the mighty power of the enemy he's keeping at bay. But if you don't believe in the enemy, you won't believe in the power that's protecting you moment by moment every day from going insane with demonic power. We, we don't see it. Our, our eyes are dull to these spiritual Things. If you have any measure of freedom from the demonic control, you would be amazed if you knew how powerful it was. Number three, the third reason we don't feel um, God's power that Paul is praying that we would feel is that we don't consider fully what happened to Jesus after the resurrection. If Jesus gave his life for you, body, and you are his, body, soul, and, and spirit, you will be amazed at God's power toward you because of what has become of Jesus. Which is what the rest of the text is about after verse 19. So let's go to the text. Verses 15 to 23 of Ephesians 1 is a prayer. Everybody spot that? Paul is praying. This is very significant. Paul is concerned with the Ephesian church just like I'm concerned with Bethlehem. And he's praying and recording his prayer. And I'm praying right now as I talk. And I'm preaching what he recorded. So I'm just reenacting this. Praying the same prayer for you. Speaking the same words to you. He evidently thought that praying was important because he can't make it happen. 
God can. And yet he spoke his prayer, evidently believing that knowing something about the way this works would be used by God to make it happen. That's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming I'm not preaching in vain. We could all just stop preaching right now and just pray. We could. Paul didn't just pray. He wrote what he prayed. He explained a little bit about what he prayed. And that's what I'm taking 35 minutes to do. What's he praying for? He says he's praying for three things, and we're going to focus only on one of them. But let's pick it up at verse 17. Ephesians 1, verse 17. Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. And then he mentions three things. So you can boil the prayer down to, I'm, I'm praying that, that a spirit would be given them and that spirit would illumine the eyes of their heart. And as a result of this illumination, there would be a knowing that the dullness would be taken away. The, the spiritual lights would go on. They would see reality for what it really is. So what, what's this knowing? Verse 18, you see it? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. What's that? What kind of knowing does he mean? Like the devil knows? The devil knows these three things. Greatness of the Christian hope, magnitude of their inheritance, huge power that God has toward believing. The devil knows that probably better than we do at some levels, but is that what he's praying for? That we all have devil knowledge? We know that's not true. What is it? What's the difference? Paul is praying that we would have an experiential consciousness of these things. An experiential consciousness in us of these things. There's a difference between holding up a jar of honey and saying, I know that's honey. How? Says so right there on the label. That's demonic knowledge of honey. There's another way to know it's honey. No label, just, that's honey. That's honey. But if your tongue is dead, I don't know what it is, just goo. Just feels gooey. That's all I know. That's, that's devil knowledge. And Paul says, I want God to come into your life. I want a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come in. I want the eyes of the heart to live, live. I want the tongue of the soul to taste power. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. You're Christians. I want you to live in the awareness and the conscious experience of these three things. And I'll mention the three and then we'll just focus on, on the third one. So starting at verse 18 in the middle of the verse, that you may know, one, number one, what is the hope to which he called you? Do you know it? Are you thrilled by the hope to which you've been called? Number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you know your inheritance? And here's the one we're focusing on, number three, verse 19. And that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He's not, he's not saying here, get the calling, become an heir, 
Get the power. That's not what he's praying. You are called. You are an heir. The power is moving toward you. That's what he says. You just don't know it. Isn't that strange? No, no, no. Not with demon knowledge. Like, okay, go to school. Learn the fact. Got the fact. Go to hell. No. Know it the way you taste, honey. Know it because I live in this hope. Know it because I own this inheritance. Know it because I know and feel the power doing these things in me against sin, against the devil, by Jesus. That's what he wants from Bethlehem, from his church all over the world on this Easter weekend. That this prayer be answered and that saints everywhere know experientially the power that is at work in those who believe. And then amazingly, he spends verses 20, 21, 22, and 23 describing what becomes of Jesus after the resurrection in order to reveal the kind of power that is so immeasurable towards believers. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Notice the next phrase. According to. So this power is according to. That's literal. I don't know what your version might say, but that's literal. This power accords with. Accords with. That is, it's like. It's like. It's, if you want to know the kind of power it is, it's like this. And then he spends four verses telling you what kind of power it is. According to the working of his might in doing these five things. So I'm going to mention them to you. Let's take them one at a time. I'm going to name them. Then I'm going to go back and unpack them for a few minutes. It's like this, verse 20. The power of God toward us now is great like this. It's the power that he worked in raising Christ, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's like that. Number two. The power of God towards us is like the great might that God worked, second half of verse 20, when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Number three, the power of God at work now toward believers is like the great might that God worked, verse 21, when he exalted him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Number four, this power that is now at work in us is like the great might that God worked, verse 22, when he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And finally, number five, this great power that is at work towards believers is like the great might that he worked when he made the church his body, this is verse 23, his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Each one needs a sermon. Each one will get a few minutes. Number one, five ways to measure the greatness of God's power. And I'm praying. I just pray. I hope believers are praying right now. Oh, God, do what Paul asked to happen. Paul named these things as a prayer so that by the Spirit, through the Word, the eyes of our hearts which have been dull would be made alive to know this power. Toward us. 
Don't sit there as though nothing should happen here, as though all you should get is demon knowledge. Number one, verse 20. This power toward us now is the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead, never to die again. And the point here, the point here is that death has been defeated. When Christ died, death died for all who are in Christ. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in, in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in the power and in by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I died. I'm dead. My death has been died. The power at work toward me is down in chapter 2, verse 5. He raised me from the dead. By the power of the resurrection. Regeneration is the awakening of the dead. Never to die again. Oh yes, you think. You will die. You have a loved one who just did die. Did they? Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. And thanks be to God who did what? In Jesus Christ, totally fulfilled the law for you. There can be no legal condemnation of this saint anymore. Therefore, this thing that once was a poisonous event that brought people to ruin is now a pathway to paradise. No, they did not die. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's over. Eternal life is in. There will be no moment, no one millisecond at the moment called death when you are out of fellowship with Jesus. Feel that power, Christian. Own it, live it, love it, enjoy it, do crazy things with it. Number two, verse 20, middle of the verse. It's the power, the power at work toward you is the power that seated him at his right hand, seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Just drop your eyes down. Verse 6. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he conquered our death. And when he, when he exalted him to his right hand, he exalted you to his right hand. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. It cannot be lost. We have already been raised. 
We are already at his right hand. It is only a matter of time until we inherit everything. That power is at work right now toward you. To awaken you to that. To let you live in that. To walk triumphantly in that. To experience like you've never before experienced power in your life. Because you've been dull to it, asleep to it, not owning it, not tasting it. Though it's true for you. Number three. Verse 21. God set Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. This is so important. The immeasurable greatness of God's power toward you now in this fallen age accords with the power that put the devil under his feet. What are these words? Rulers, authorities, what is that? We know what it is from chapter 6, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. Same pair of words. Against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is the devil. This is the horde of demons that fills this world and wars against God's people all day long and all night long, every single day, 24-7. If you enjoy any measure of deliverance from the power of the devil, power is at work in your life. Incredible power is at work in your life. You wouldn't have a chance of a snowball in hell if there were no power at work in your life. Less than a snowball in hell because all hell hates you. And they're supernatural and you're only natural. How are you surviving? I'll tell you how you're surviving. God is making you survive. God is loving you. God is extending immeasurable greatness of his power toward you while you sleep and while you argue and while you complain and while you sin. Otherwise, you'd be in hell today. And so would I. Colossians 2.15 God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. They are a defeated foe. Oh yes, we must fight them. We pray the Lord's Prayer every day, do we not? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh God, because we don't have a chance if you don't answer that prayer. Number four. Verse 22, God put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Notice two things, all things under the feet of Christ today. For example, all history, all human beings, all demonic powers, all disease, all disabilities, All nature, weather, hurricanes, lightning bolts, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, global warming. All businesses and industry, health care, sports, march madness, 
inventions, media, internet, iPad mania, military might, governments, presidents, kings, chiefs, religions, universities, solar systems, stars, galaxies, molecules, atoms, subatomic atomic pulse, um, particles, and, and, and 10,000 things that man knows nothing about. They're all under the feet of Jesus. And secondly, he is given as head with such authority to the church. Do you see that? End of verse 22. Put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That's the same as saying in verse 19 the immeasurable greatness of his power toward you. The church. He doesn't exert this saving, delivering, protecting power toward everybody. But toward those who believe. Number five. Finally. Verse 23. This takes my breath away. I'm not sure I understand it. I'll venture an interpretation. We believers... We happy believers are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The power that is at work toward you tonight, today, is the power that accords with God's purpose to fill the universe with his fullness which is his body, the church. Which I think, take a deep breath, means that God intends, let's go back to the beginning. God created Adam and Eve, a humanity, to do what? To inhabit, subdue, rule, enjoy a creation. Creation is for man. He's the capstone of creation. Everything serves him. We blew it. But the story isn't over. He's making a new humanity with a new Adam. And he's going to make a new universe, the new heavens and the new earth. Where what will happen? Where his fullness will fill all in all. His glory will fill every centimeter of the new heavens and the new earth. But the catch is, the glorious catch is, this fullness is called the church, his body. Which I take to mean there will be no place where Jesus is not ruling. And in every place where Jesus is ruling, he will be ruling through his church. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made us, I don't think. If he wanted not to rule through us, he would have skipped us. So, Christian, pray for eyes to see. These these are too big. These five things are too spectacular for any human soul to grasp.
They can only be grasped in answer to prayer. They can only be grasped with divine illumination, which is why Paul is praying. I close with one application and link with last Sunday's sermon. Last week, I said that um, there are a whole species of pride that are very dangerous. Dangerous in my soul. I hope you felt dangerous in yours. Now I add this. Noel and I are not unaware that we have an enemy. The devil. We know that Satan and his hordes are real. We know they hate us. We know they hate our faith. We know that they hate our worship, our family worship, and our corporate worship. We know that they hate our marriage. And we know they hate our ministry. We are not ignorant of his devices. If you want to know the power of verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power at work toward you, if, if you want Paul's prayer answered, so that you know it like tasting honey, not like the devil knows it, then wake up to the demonic battle that rages for your soul. Your faith, your worship, your marriage, your life, your ministry. Every day. Sin is defeated at the cross and we war against it till we are perfected at the last day. Satan is defeated at the cross and we war against him until he is out of commission totally at the last day. As for this fight... May God grant you to know the power that you have available. May Paul's prayer be answered in your life. May, as the knowledge of the devil and his hordes increases, your awareness by tasting of the power, the immeasurable greatness of his power at work toward you, rise in proportion lest you be consumed. I testify from inside the battle to my comrades in warfare in the name of Jesus by the authority of his word by the authority of his blood by the authority of his everlasting life we will win in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of his power Almighty God, 
whose immeasurably great power is at work toward us in this room. I thank you. Oh, how I thank you. I am sorry for all the days when I do not feel this because I am so dull, so blind, and therefore so vulnerable to alternative glories, especially myself. God, we are praying again, just like we did last week, that we, we Christians, we blood-bought, raised from the death, installed at the right hand of God, destined for glory Christians, would know the immeasurable greatness of the power that is at work in us. So as we close, take us down into the cross and up into the power, we pray, through Christ.